All right. Hello, Chase Oaks. Good to see everybody. And I uh, want to welcome you at Legacy also at our other campuses, too. Uh, whether you're Woodbridge or Richardson or Sun Creek or in Espanol, uh, everybody online right now, too. Um, today, we are continuing this series called One Question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? And what makes up this series is your question. So we sent that out on social media. Uh, people responded and it was democratic, right? Just whatever got the most, uh, whatever questions had the most ones. That's what made the series. So last week, Greg Holmes did a great job. Uh, go online and watch it if you missed it. Talking about a really big question, and that is, why is there suffering in our world and in our lives? Um, next week, we're going to be talking about disappointment. That there are a, a lot of the questions came in. We're like, boy, I know I realize the world is messed up, but um, I mean, I've had this hope for years, this need uh, for years, this uh, prayer request for years, this desire for years and put it before God. I know he can do anything. And why hasn't he done what he should do? Like, you know, why, why is life like this and why doesn't God respond? And so next week we're going to talk about that. And then, uh, then the next week, there were a lot of questions about uh, sexual preference, sexual attraction, that kind of thing. And so we're, uh, the question is kind of how it's worded a, a, a bunch is this, if God makes people gay, then why does he say you can't be that way? Now, that's a really loaded question. I know that. I know some of you think, wait a minute. I don't think I, I know if I buy that. I don't know if I buy that. I get it. It's your question. <laughs> you know, so um, so we're just going to respond to it and say, well, let's look at it from a biblical perspective and and uh, and what God points us to. So um, that'll be in two weeks. Today, we're talking about heaven. Because a lot of the questions that came in were about heaven, uh, saying, hey, you know, God, what's heaven going to be like? Specifics about heaven. Um, who's going to be there? Am I going to be there? Uh, there were people who asked, is, is my dog going to be in heaven? Um, and we had multiple people ask that. Interestingly, uh, not one person asked about cats. I don't know what that means. I'm not saying, I mean, it could be they're just so confident that they don't have to ask or they're not going to bother us. I don't know which one it is, but anyway, so we're, it, and it makes sense that there's a lot of questions about heaven because heaven is a place that uh, none of us have ever been to, and it's a place that we all want to go. And so let's, you know, so we're, that makes sense. Also interesting, over the last years, decade or so, there's been a lot of books and uh, movies even about people who've had near-death experiences and then see different things and then write about them and say, this is what heaven's going to be like, which is always uh, really interesting. Uh, and, and I'm just going to put those in the category of interesting, the near-death experiences. Um, and a friend of mine named John Burke down in Austin, he's a pastor, wrote a book called Imagine Heaven, where he starts with those and then says, okay, let's take those experiences and, and then put them through the lens of the Bible. And, and that's interesting to do. But today, my approach is going to be a little bit different. So we're just going to say, OK, let's put that in the category of interesting. But read that book. And uh, we're just going to look at what the Bible says about heaven and what it points to, because there's a lot of misperception and a lot of misconception about heaven. And I know when I was, you know, a, a pretty young in my faith as a teenager, I I had a lot of, I guess you'd say, anxiety about the afterlife. And not because I thought I was going to hell, but because I thought I was going to heaven. Because when I thought what, how I'd been taught about heaven and the way people talked about heaven to me, and I didn't want to say it out loud. 
it just sounded so boring and long. I mean, like boring for eternity. And it's like, oh, man, God, don't let me die because that's going to be terrible. And uh, and, you know, because I don't know where I picked it up, but I, I picked it up that that heaven was going to be like a forever church service, like an eternal church service. So we we're going to be uh, maybe no sermon, but like worshiping and music, you know, forever. And uh, and hey, I love church. I do. I mean, what we just experienced, I love it. But after about an hour, hour and a half, I'm ready to kind of do something else and then come back. And uh, and but can you imagine eternal church? I mean, after about 10,000 years, you're like, do we get a bathroom break? Because, you know, or. After about a hundred thousand years, you know, I, we've we've done that song a lot. Can we do something another one? I mean, it's just like ah, I mean, all those thoughts go through my head, and and I remember talking to one of my uh, youth leaders about it, who really shamed me for even asking the question. It was like, well, you know, then we'll be so in love with Jesus that it'll just go like that. It won't, you know, because we're worshiping Him, it'll just go like that. I'm like, I guess, but that sounds like a long time, you know, still to me. And then I look at the Bible people, and the Bible people seem all excited about heaven. So I thought, well, maybe when you become godly like the Bible people, or maybe we just get older, uh, you, you just start liking stuff that's boring. Like, um, you know, like when you get older, you like classical music, supposedly, or opera, I've heard that, or documentaries, or what. And so maybe it's just the older you get, the more you like boring stuff, or the godlier you are, the more it's not boring anymore. And, and maybe that's the deal. But what I've learned is that the reason the Bible people were excited about it is because they had a very different perspective of heaven than that. Worship will be included. That'll be part of it. But that's just that's part of what we'll be doing in heaven and what life is like there. It'll be much more uh, well-rounded than that, much more engaging than that. And so today we're going to look at a biblical perspective of heaven and realize it and see that it has a lot more to do with the here and now, not just the there and then. And with what God wants to do in our life now that will culminate in heaven. And so uh, today we're going to talk about, well, okay, what is it all about? Now, we are going to be looking at some passages that talk about heaven. But before that, we have to do something else because heaven is like the final chapter of the story. It's the culmination of the story we find ourselves in, the meta narrative that we find ourselves in, the story of the world, the story of creation. And the only way you and I, I believe, can understand the end of the story is to understand the beginning of the story and even the middle of the story that we find ourselves in. So today we're going to tell the story of the world, the story of everything, the story of creation. And some of you are like, I I thought he said it wasn't going to be an eternal church. That sounds long. It's not going to be long. We're going to do it quick. Okay. so in Greg Holmes last week already primed the pump for us. So let's go back to this beginning of the story before we start looking at the end of the story, the culmination of the story, which is heaven. So the beginning starts, you know, book of Genesis, right? God creates creation, creates everything, uh, including human beings, Adam and Eve. And he places them there in Paradise, otherwise known as Alabama uh, or the Garden Garden of Eden, depending on the translation you use. But um, and it's and they live in this perfect environment. Uh, no sin, death, destruction, anything. Just this perfect environment where they have a perfect relationship with God. They walk with God in the cool of the day. They have this perfect relationship with each other. They really did have a perfect marriage. Uh, some of you are newly married and you think you have a perfect marriage, but just wait. But they had a perfect they had a perfect marriage. They did. And they had a perfect relationship with creation and perfect relation with all the animals. And they worked. They had responsibility, but it only brought joy and fulfillment. And so they live in this perfect existence. But then Genesis three happens. 
It only takes two chapters for it all, you know, to go down. But three in Genesis three, we call it the fall because we fell from that perfect state. Us, creation, this world, life on this planet at all was impacted when Adam and Eve chose sin. Because when Adam and Eve chose sin, along with sin comes death and destruction and disease. And the world begins to spiral down and decay. And that's the fall. And that, the Bible talks about that. Uh, Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, that's us. okay? and to be revealed is when those of us who know Jesus, Jesus comes back. We become like Jesus. We become fully who God wants us to be. But all of creation is waiting for Jesus to come back, not just us. For the creation was subjected to frustration. That's the curse. That's what happened at the fall. It's frustration, futility. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, human beings, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, from spiraling down and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Okay, so all of creation, every part of life on this earth was impacted by sin, impacted by the fall. So to understand that, we're just going to do a quick tour of life in a fallen world. We kind of know what it's like because that's where we live. We live right now in a fallen world, but let's think about it a little bit. So first of all, how sin impacted our relationship with God really drastically because sin stands in the way between us and God. We stand worthy of judgment. It's a barrier. Jesus died on the cross on it to remove it. But that's, you know, that's uh, sin broke our relationship with God. Also, our relationships with each other. It's not that the that the fall means that every part of life is bad. It just means every part of life is stained. Every part of life is compromised. Every part of life has has goodness and futility in it all at the same time. And that includes our relationships. So our relation, our friendships, our marriage relationships, they're good. But they're never fully what they should be. Right. Because they're stained and we have we're selfish and we're sinful and therefore relationships are really, really they're sometimes good, sometimes bad, but they're difficult. Even even the best marriages, even the best relationships are that way. Work uh, same way. Uh, we were created to be workers. We're creating God's image. But in Genesis three, now work would have futility added to it, frustration added to it. That it would no longer just bring joy and fulfillment, but also be really tough, bring frustration and tiredness. And anybody else want to go to work in the morning? Yeah, but it would. Um, the planet, our planet's beautiful because God created it. But but this planet has actually been impacted by the fall, which means we live in the ruins of a once perfect earth. And this planet is not so hospitable, right? We have natural disasters like flooding <laughs> uh, for some people yesterday or, uh, you know, tornadoes and all this stuff that happens right on our planet. Our bodies, our bodies were designed to just be in this perfect state, this perfect condition, not to wind down, not to decay. But guess what? They wind down and decay now, right? And if you're, um, I mean, that'll get better and better. They wind, they get worse and worse over time. Now, some of you are like, if you're under 25, you're like, no, they get better. They get, yeah, it's getting better every day. And you're right. But I hate to tell you, once you turn 25, it starts going the other way. It starts going downhill. I remember when I was, uh, when my kids were little, 
I'll never, I, always, I think about this now every time I stand up or sit down from a chair because we were in the, we were in our living room and I got up to get something real quick and uh, and I, I came back and my kids said, Dad, how come every time you get out of a chair or you sit down, you make noise? You go like, uh, or whatever. I'm like, I don't do that. And, and as I was sitting down, I was like, I don't do that. And I went, uh, and I was like, ah, I did it. You're right. And now every time I think about that, I try not to, but I, my body's groaning, right? Cause it's going downhill, going the wrong way. And that's what bodies do. And we die. We get sick. And every time I go to a funeral, it feels like such a violation to me, death. I hate it. Thinking Why? And there's a reason it feels like a violation, because it wasn't supposed to be that way. The world of people, you know, God designed us to live in harmony, not only with our environment, but with each other in in, in this diversity of this world to have just nothing but harmony and unity. And I don't think we have that. So that's life in a fallen world. Now, God could have left it that way. He could have said, well, good luck with that. That's what you wanted. See you later. But he's too loving for that. And he promised to come and restore and redeem. And therefore, the, the Bible uh, in the passage we just read talks about how creation is waiting for God to bring his restoration. Now, we're going to get to heaven. Some of you are thinking, when's he going to talk about heaven? When's he going to talk about my dog? Is my dog? I, we're going to get there. OK, but first we have to understand the big story. Right. So he's going to uh, he God decides to intervene in love and to restore and redeem. And here's. What creation is waiting for. I consider this is the same passage, just longer in Romans eight. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. The glory to come. God's plans for the future. That's what we'll experience in heaven. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. When Jesus comes back for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Like just like one day God will renew us and restore us. One day God will restore all of creation to what God originally intended it to be. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, meaning God is beginning to work on us. But we're not yet who we will be and who we really want to be yet either. So we're waiting as well. The redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What is creation waiting for? What is this world, this planet, every part of the planet? Every, what is it waiting for? It's waiting for Jesus to return, to restore all things, to renew all things. That's why in the Bible, like in the book of Acts, in Acts 3, this is after Jesus has died on the cross, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven. That's where he is now. One day he will return and all this will happen. And in Acts, it says Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore what? Everything. Let's try it again. For God to restore everything, not just us, everything. That's his promise. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets, that one day he will return to restore everything. In Matthew, Jesus talks about when he will come back to this planet. And he says that when he does, he will come back to renew all things. Everything has been compromised by sin. 
in Revelation 22. Revelation 22 is a really important chapter to understand heaven. Revelation 21 and 22 are the two chapters where that's what's happening. John, the apostle John, is able to see this vision of what heaven will be like after Jesus returns to the earth. And he explained. Now, we'll look at this passage later, but it's a really important passage because that's what he's describing. But his bottom line statement, if you want to know what heaven is going to be like, and there's only one phrase, this is the phrase. No longer will there be any curse. What that means is, is that heaven will be life without the curse, life without sin and all that comes with it. Life without the futility and frustration of this fallen world that he is reversing the curse. No longer will there be any curse. And what we're going to see is, is that heaven is not going to be us floating around in the clouds somewhere. Heaven is a remade earth life as it was originally meant to be. He's going to restore to life. In this world, on this planet, all of it, the way that God intended. He's going to rebuild it. Extreme home makeover. Just even more extreme. And we will experience life here as we were meant to live it. Which takes me to Revelation 21 and 22. Remember, it's that passage. That's a really important passage to understand what heaven's going to be like. This is what John sees in his vision. So this is after Jesus returns. There's a final judgment. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we think of as heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, that's what we think of as heaven. Right. And it is heaven right now. The throne of God, uh, all the angels there, you know, around the throne and all that. The golden streets. Okay, that's that's the heavenly city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. But here's what happens coming down out of heaven. From God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So it comes down from heaven to earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. Here's what happens. Okay. In the new heaven and the new earth, both get a makeover. After Jesus returns, heaven gets a makeover and the earth gets a major makeover. New heaven, new earth. And what John sees is the heavenly city, heaven, comes down to earth. And the dwelling of God and the dwelling of people is the same. And the heavenly city is part of the new earth. So you've got the earth and the heavenly city and they're the same. And essentially, it's the culmination of the story where God is renewing all things. He's restoring to life on this planet what sin has ruined and, and, and it, what sin has ruined. And he's replacing it and making it new with the way God originally intended. Heaven is a remade earth. Life as it was originally meant to be. There's a lot of implications to this. Because what that means is we're not just going to be floating around in the clouds with a harp and wings. That's what I'm doing. I look like I'm doing the chicken dance. But I, you know, and um it's, it's life here, the way God intended it to be. Um, so let's think about that a little bit. You think, well, what will heaven look like? And John describes what the heavenly city will be. But then let's think about what the new earth will be like. 
Um, well, we've got a big clue in, term, in terms of what the new earth will look like, what heaven existence will look like, because we have this earth. Uh, this earth is the ruins of a once perfect earth, but still God's creation and all over the place. Really beautiful, right? Really beautiful spots on this earth. But my, uh, a lot of you know, I have two sons. Christy and I have two sons and Colin and Caleb. And now we have a daughter, too. I guess you have to say daughter-in-law, but she feels more like a daughter. Um, Kinsey. And they're awesome. And all of them, all three of them, love the outside. Just love the outdoors. And love being out of creation. My youngest son, Caleb, has taken that to an art form. Uh, he just loves being out in creation. And you can follow him, his Instagram. It's called Unsafe Tomatoes. <laughs> Unsafe Tomatoes. And, uh, and he just, you just never know where he's going to be because he lives in a, in a, he turned a Dodge Sprinter into a tiny house. I called him yesterday. He said, where are you? Red Rocks National Park or Red Woods or something National Park in California. I was like, okay, sounds good to me. And he's rigged up his van. He's got wireless anywhere. He has a satellite anywhere he wants to be and he can do his work from there. And then he just takes his house. All these crazy places, all these beautiful places. So if you go on his Instagram, there he is. There's his house. Uh, and there's one of those places. Um, here he is this uh, winter in Vail. Um, See, it's, if you if you follow him on Instagram, you're going to want to be Caleb. That's the only problem. You want to quit your job and all that. And that could be a problem. But um, this is uh, an ice cave in uh, a glacier in Alaska. Um, oops, went the wrong way. Um, and then I'm not sure where this is, but it looks pretty cool. I think it's probably Alaska, too. And I talked to Caleb a lot about it because I'll say, Dad, I just have to be in creation. Like, that's where I experience God is just out in nature and out in. And he said, just like breathing to me. I just, you know, and and, and I'm so glad he's been able to work out his life to be able to do that and live that way. But creation, as he's experiencing it, it is a glimpse of what the new earth will be like, is a glimpse of what heaven will be like. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with that, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, did a really good job of expressing this reality. Heaven, the new heaven and new earth is a renewed earth, life as it was meant to be. Um, in, the, in the last book of the series, uh, I read those series to my boys, and I encourage you to do the same with your kids. It's really, they're really great. But the last book, at the end of the book, he's talking about how Narnia, the world there, and the Narnia is destroyed and now they're going into the realm or the land of Aslan, which is like heaven. So it's mimicking in the story the destruction of the old earth and the and old heaven and new heaven and new earth, right? So they're leaving one and going into the other. And they're mourning, Lucy and the rest of the kids who are now adults in the story, but are mourning the end of Narnia because there are things that they loved about Narnia. Even as they're going into what we think of as heaven or the land of Aslan. And because my body's spiraling down after these reading glasses. Um, but here's what it says. It's a longer quote, so hang with me. So they're, again, they're leaving. Narnia has just been destroyed. They're going into what we think of as heaven in the land of Aslan. Still grieving the loss of Narnia. But then they find something very surprising about it. And that's where we in, in start. Lucy says this. Those hills. The nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very much like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence. Why, they're exactly like, look, there's Mount Pyre with its forked head. There's the pass into Arkham land and everything. And yet they're not like, said Lucy, they're different. They have more colors on them and they look farther away than I remembered. And they're more 
more, I don't know, more like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. Suddenly, Farsight the eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up into the air, circled around, and then landed on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we've all been blind. We're only beginning to see where we are. From up there, I've seen it all. Edensmuir, Beaver's Dam, and the Great River, Caerparavel, still shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. But how can that be, said Peter, for Aslan told us older ones that we should never return to Narnia, and here we are. Yes, said Eustace, and we all saw it destroyed and the sun put out. And it's all so different, said Lucy. The eagle is right, said the Lord Diggory. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be. Just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course, it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow or as a waking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. And it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his hoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia was that it sometimes looked a little like this. And that little phrase captures the story really well. The reason why we love the old Narnia was it sometimes looked a little like this. That heaven isn't just about the then in there, it's much more about the here and now and what God is going to do, culminating the story of restoring life on this planet the way God meant, the way God meant it to be. And so let's just play that out and think about, well, OK, then what's life going to be like? Just like the list we had with the fallen world, then what's it going to be in the new heaven and the new earth? Well, our relationship with God no longer broken. Now, when Jesus came the first time, he came to restore relationship with God. Sin stood in the way. Jesus dies on the cross, takes a penalty for sin. We can be forgiven. We can have a relationship with him. But even then, it is a long distance relationship now. Right? It's not the way it was meant to be. It's better. It's way better. But it's not it's not fully the way it was meant to be. It's like when Christy and I were dating. Um, we dated. This was so long ago. This was before email and before uh, the Internet was a popular thing. This was before cell phones. Uh, the long distance calls were really expensive back then. And she went away for three months to Japan. And so how do you communicate? Now, this is crazy. This is the way we did it. Um, if you couldn't call, there were these things called letters. And you actually, you, like you wrote on paper and you stuck them in an envelope and you put a stamp and you sent them. And like two weeks later, she would get the letter. It's, I know it's nuts. You're like, wow, the world was so messed up back then. I know. But, uh, and I, um, but you know, I, I, I wrote her, this is how bad I had it for her and I still have it bad for her, but I wrote her every single day of those 90 something days. She, a letter every day, uh, sent them out. She still has them. And, um, and that was great and that was fun, but not the way it was meant to be. It was a long distance relationship and our relationship with God right now isn't It's great, but it's not the way it's meant to be. But there, it won't be a long-distance relationship. We'll be right there together. 
our relationships with each other right now. I mean, they're partly good and partly hard. Sometimes they're just bad, but sometimes they're partly good, but they're always hard. Even the best relationships are hard, but there they won't be hard because we won't be sinful. We won't be selfish. Our work, we will have jobs in heaven. And some of you are like, no, I'm going to retire forever. Come on, you know, and uh, but no, we'll we'll have responsibility in heaven and um, and we'll have different levels of responsibility in heaven, even the Bible says. And you and I are made in God's image. We're made to be achievers. We're made to be accomplishers. We're not made just to sit around. We don't do well when we do that. We're made to do things. Uh, we're given gifts and abilities, and we'll have those gifts and abilities in heaven, and we'll have responsibility in heaven. It just won't stink. <laughs> It'll be no frustration, only joy, only fulfillment. Uh, it won't be hard in the bad ways of, of hard and like I said, we will have different levels of responsibility. The Bible also says we'll have different levels of wealth in heaven. This some will be more, have more responsibility. Some will have more wealth than others. You're like, what? That doesn't make sense. That's not going to make me happy if that goober over there has more than I do. I mean, you know, but there we won't have, we won't have envy. So it'll be great for everybody, but it'd be different for everybody. And Jesus talks about that. It's the concept of reward. And he talked about it a lot. He said, if you're smart, he said, you're either going to enjoy what God's given you here, or you're going to send it on to eternity. By giving your time, giving your resources, giving your money, giving your gifts and abilities to serve God's purposes in the world, you're rewarded for all eternity. You can blow that off and enjoy it now or enjoy it later. It's up to you. Now, if that raises a lot of questions, you're like, wait a minute, I don't get that. All you got to do is wait till November because we're going to do a sermon just on that in November. All right. So you can wait. Right. And all, all you got to do is not get too ticked off at us at Chase Oaks just until November. And then we, we'll talk about it and hang out till then. Um, so that's work. OK, work um, our planet. We've talked about a lot. So our planet will be a fully renewed planet. No more natural disasters. It'll be more beautiful than we can imagine. Our bodies that spiral down now won't spiral down anymore. They'll be perfect. In fact, the Bible says just like God is taking this earth and making a new earth, that he will take our body and make a, a new body. But our bodies uh, he's going to use our bodies and, and the Bible makes a big deal about it. just like Jesus's body was raised from the dead and he had a new body. Uh, we, too, will have a new body like Jesus had a new body. It'll be our body just remade and imp- new improved. That means all of us get a six pack without working out, you know, things like that. Um, and I don't know what. But uh, and, and so now you think, what happens to people now when they die before Jesus comes back and there's the new heaven and the new earth. Well, Paul told us, he said, to be absent from the body, for those who know the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So our spirits right now, when somebody dies, like my dad um, a couple years ago, his spirit is with the Lord. Uh, but his body isn't. His body's in the ground in Huntsville, Alabama, and Maple Hill Cemetery. But the Bible says that when Jesus returns... Uh, just before he returns, this thing called rapture. And it says the dead in Christ. So the rapture is when those who are alive on this planet will zip up to heaven. Uh, to, but um, before the final judgment and all that kind of stuff happens. But before that, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. And you're like, what do you mean the dead in Christ? I thought they were in heaven. It's their bodies. And their bodies will be joined to their spirit. And they'll get a new body. They're not going to be a pile of ashes or a pile of bones or something like that. We'll have a new body, a perfect body. And my dad, who had ALS and couldn't walk, he'll be dancing around, walking, whatever, right? He'll have a perfect body. We'll all have that. The world of people now so messed up won't be messed up anymore. Really will be the kind of harmony that God envisioned. So you get the idea that life in heaven is not just going to be floating around on the clouds, singing songs and playing harps and sitting on, you know, 
we're going to be doing life the way God intended it to be. It'll even be better than before, because when God redeems something and restores something, he doesn't take it back to where it was. He makes it better. And so our relationship with God will be better than even Adam and Eve had. Our life in heaven will be even better because that's the way God does things. Now, I know that raises a lot of questions that I didn't answer. Like uh, I never answered this question. What about our dog? You know, this is our dog. This is Chewy and Chewbacca. But if uh, but is Chewbacca going to be in heaven, you know, and all that. And I would like it. I love Chewy. I think everybody would love Chewy, right? You love your dog or cat or gerbil or whatever it is. And will they be, you know, in heaven? And what we do know is animals will be in heaven. Will it be our animals there? Bible doesn't say. I don't know if it makes you feel better. Whatever. Okay. Uh, and there's other questions I know. So there's a book that's, that I'm going to recommend called Heaven uh, by Randy Alcorn. It's a really, really good book. And it will take what we've touched on in this past, in this message and just take it deeper. It's really well written. It's a, it's a big book, but it's a good read. And I really encourage you to, uh, to buy it, especially if you've had someone, you know, already pass on and you think, man, you have so many questions about where they are, or them and, and then what heaven will be like and, and all that. Just a very well done book. So it's Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And I guess the next question after that, or really kind of the big question or the last question is, well, okay, that all sounds good, but how do I know I'm going to get to heaven? Like, how do I know I'm going to be in heaven? Because there is an alternative hell. So how do I know I get to heaven? That's a great question. There's probably not a more important question to ask than that. How do you get to heaven? And here's the good news is that God wants you to be there even more than you do. And he made that possible by paying a very high price to make it possible, to make it free for you, even though it was costly for him. Probably the most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3:16. Tim Tebow, you know, if you remember, he used to put it right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That God decided not to leave us in our sin, but to come to us, to send his son, Jesus, into this world, to die on the cross. That's why he died. He died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin and mine. He was our substitute. God is just. He must punish sin. God said, I'll do it myself. And he makes it possible for any who believe. Just meaning who say, I trust in Christ and his work on my behalf and I receive his forgiveness into my life. The Bible says that's a gift because you and I can't earn it. Getting to heaven is not trying to be good enough, hoping that the scales balance in and we make it. You and I do not want to go into eternity holding on to sin because we're liable for God's judgment and we don't have to. And going to heaven is not about our work. It's about Jesus's work on our behalf. And it's receiving what he offers freely. And that is forgiveness and relationship with him. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that. But the other thing we have to understand is eternal life that he talks about here. That's not just about heaven. Eternal life starts the moment you and I open up our life to God. He begins to renew and restore our life. Now, this is really cool. Okay, because we think, well, okay, I'll, life will stink now, but I'll wait till heaven and that'll be great. No, what God wants to do is start the process of renewal and restoration right now. That's why in Philippians, it says he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. So on that day, yeah, that'll be complete. That'll be cool. But he starts the minute we begin a relationship with Jesus and we open up our life to his work in our life. He wants your life to be better. 
He wants your relationships, your marriage, if you're married, to be better, your dating life to be better, your work life to be better. He wants your soul to be stronger. He wants the things that are broken in your life that are so messed up, ways that you've been wounded, mistakes that you've made, and you feel like, you know, or things that other people have done to you, and you feel like it is beyond repair. It is not. When you and I begin a relationship with God, he raises us up to new life and he makes us the person that we that God originally intended us to be in all of its fullness. And he wants to start now. And when you and I open up our life to him and cooperate with him, which what does that mean? How do you cooperate with God? Well, that's why the Bible says walking with him and we begin a relationship with him and then we walk with him. What is walking? You take steps. And God calls us to take steps. So he calls us to take, take steps like you're taking right now to be in church, to be listening to what he says, to apply it to your life. God uses that. And when we do over time, makes our life better, makes he's renewing our life. When you and I are in community, in connection with other believers, God uses that to grow us, to make our life better, richer, fuller, more healed. Um, like established is starting, you know, we don't do that stuff just for the fun of it. Established is there to help us take big steps in our relationship with God to go deeper in the eternal life that God wants for us to go deeper in this renewed life, this new life that God wants for us. And if you haven't done that, do it uh, as we serve, as we engage, like all the things that God tells us to do, he tells us to do because there are steps in this new life. Not only that. God calls you and me as once we become his people to be renewers, to be restorers. That God is bringing his restoration, his renewal, his redemption to this planet. When Jesus came the first time, he started that process. And he calls you and me as his followers to be redeemers and restorers, to reverse the curse on this planet, to make this planet better. And he calls you everywhere you go. God has placed you on purpose. He's placed me on purpose to be restored, to say, okay, God hasn't just put me here. He's put me here to make it better in God's sense of better. So when you go to school tomorrow, I want you to go to school. If you're a believer thinking, okay, God, I'm here to restore to this environment what sin has ruined and what God originally intended. I'm here to make it better. So with whatever influence I have, the way I treat people or whatever, how can I make this place better for people? When we go to work tomorrow, not just to think, okay, I'm going to go to work. Think, no, I'm going to, I'm going to work as a restorer. How can I use whatever influence I have to restore to this environment what sin has ruined? How can I make it better? How can I make it better for the people to work for me? How can I make it better for the people we serve? How can I make it a place where people can flourish in their gifting and find fulfillment and joy? Everywhere we go, in our neighborhood, in our home, it doesn't matter. We're there as restorers and redeemers, and we get to participate in this whole new life. Because heaven is not just about the there and then. It begins here and now. It'll culminate there and then, and that'll be awesome. But it begins now, as God wants to work in our life now. And some of you feel like you're not renewable. You're too messed up. You just don't understand how, how good and powerful God is. You're more than renewable. He who began a good work in you might complete it, will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He wants to work on you now. He wants to use you and me now. And so let's open up our life to him. Let's begin eternal life now. And for those of us who have yet to begin a relationship with God, I want us to have an opportunity to take that step. And for those of us who have it to say, God, help me be your renewer, a restorer, begin to renew my life in a deeper way. Let's bow our heads together. Prayer is just talking to God in our own words. 
And I invite you now to just talk with God in light of eternity. And for some, this may be your opportunity to begin a relationship with God. And what I mean by that is sin stands in the way between us and God. And, and the good news is, is, as we said, God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his one and only son to die on the cross so that we would not perish, we would not be judged, but we would have everlasting life. And so therefore, going to heaven and opening up your life to God's redeeming presence now is not about being good enough for God. And if you want to begin a relationship with God right now, just say in your own heart, just say, God, thank you that this isn't about me being good enough because I can't be. Thank you. It's about your grace. It's about your gift. It's about what you did for me. And you say it's a gift. And so I say yes to that gift and ask that you begin to forgive me and that you would forgive me and that you begin to redeem me and rebuild me and restore me. And God, help me believe that what you say is true, that you will never leave me or forsake me. That as the Bible says, even if I deny you, you will not deny me for you're faithful. And then for all of us or for anybody who maybe has taken that step. To say, now, God, help me live into eternal life in a deeper way now, not just then and there, but here and now. God, the things that need to change in my heart and as I walk with you, God, show me what next step to take. God, what next step are you calling me to take? And then give me the courage just to take that step. And then God, help me as I think about every area of life that you've put me to be in. How can I be a restorer and a redeemer at work in my neighborhood, in this world, in the brokenness of this world? What issues have you put on my heart? What, what do you want me to do, God? Father, thank you that you want our life to be full and free and joyful. Certainly for all eternity in heaven, but even increasingly now. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you. And we're so thankful for your goodness in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.